Something I'm very pleased about this morning, something that Calvary's been doing for a little while now, is we want to make sure that we have a variety of voices in the pulpit. And so every, every few months we have a, another person speak that isn't Ben or I. And Fred Johnson, Dr. Fred Johnson, is very dear to me. Most of you know that he is my father-in-law. He's Lisa's father. And I have gotten to know Fred since I went to Lincoln in 2003. He was my professor long before I knew that he would be my father-in-law, which, you know, could either be good or bad, and he'll, he'll, he'll tell me a different answer to that question on a regular basis. But um, for, we, are, we are blessed to have him this morning. Fred has been a long-time preacher and pastor, a long-time teacher at Lincoln. And the thing that you'll find, if you, if you heard Fred earlier this year or, if the, or last year, or if you're hearing him for the first time, uh, Fred is a man of wonderful wisdom. And he's someone who knows Jesus very deeply. And so we're very blessed to have him sharing with us this morning. So I'd like to have Fred come on up. Thank you, Clayton, and thank you, Calvary. Uh, it, it's a joy to be here. Now, the words are very familiar, once upon a time. And, and when you hear those words, you know a story's coming, and who doesn't like a good story? Let's see, Cinderella, Snow White, Beauty and the Beast, one of Lisa's favorites, Sound of Music, Frozen, oh my, stories. They have an uncanny ability of drawing us into them. The plot has twists and turns, and we're surprised, we're perplexed, we're happy, maybe sad, as we identify with those characters. Now, we long to see that everything works out okay. In fact, deep within our hearts, we want to hear the ending, and they all lived. I, I, I ponder that you want your story to end happily ever after. An ancient rabbi said this, God loves stories so much, he made people. Not bad. Uh, the Bible's only got about a bazillion stories in it, have you noticed? The stories show us God at work in people's lives, real people. And as you read the Bible stories, we're perplexed and we're surprised. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad as we are invited into that story. So this morning, I just want to share one story that God has worked into the fabric of my life when, when a preacher can preach anything that he wants. Now, God started to work this in when I was in my 20s. I, I'm not in my 20s anymore. In fact, this is my 51st year of walking with Jesus. It's a special story. Now, to hear this story well, though, you have to leave the pew this morning. Uh, you have to be transported into another time and to another place. 
In fact, I'd love it if he would just be right in the middle of the scene here in this biblical story. Now, you have a name, and your name is Jacob. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely... The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Many years ago, there was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl named Lisa. She was about three years old, and I introduced her to world-famous indoor camping. Now, you know about that, right? Yeah, okay, you, you, go rid the, you go raid the linen closet, you get sheets and towels and clothespins. Yes, I know what those are. You go to the dining room table, you pull the chairs out, and you fashion for yourself this magnificent tent. Because Amy and I were going to go camping that night. Now, I want you to know that I got her favorite food group for snacks, the color orange, circus peanuts, and Cheetos. Okay, maybe that's my favorite food group. <laughs> And, and we had fun. I asked Lisa a couple of weeks ago if she remembered that. Wasn't sure. We played tickle games in our tent. We did the flashlight on the thing, you know. We, we just had a, I had a great time until the morning. You see, uh, it was such primitive camping that all we had was that little sheet on that cold kitchen floor. And even as a young man, I woke up a bit sore and stiff and exhausted. That's what I remember. Now, we just read about someone who knew what it was like to sleep on a very hard bed, didn't we? In fact, did you catch what Jacob had for a pillow? What was it? You got it. Let's see if I get this straight. He's out in the wilderness, and he's got to stop because the sun has set, and he lays down in the middle of nowhere to camp, and he uses a rock for a pillow. But then the story gets interesting. He's going to change the name of this place. Isn't that odd? Well, let's see, let's get into this thing. The name of the place must not have been that important, but hey, when you read the Bible, you always got to connect stories in the Bible. 
Well, if, if Jacob can change the name of the place, then I can change the name of the place. But it's not haphazardly, because you've got to look into the real life of this guy. So let me back up a couple of chapters. Uh, Jacob had a brother. His name was? Very good. And they got along fabulously, didn't they? <laughs> you got the drift. All right, you got the birthright story there. All right, Esau doesn't want it, Jacob gets it, and that just cements their relationship so wonderfully, doesn't it? Well, let me fast forward a little bit. There was the day that Jacob went to his father, looked him in the eye, and lied through his teeth. You remember that? He gets the blessing. His mother, seeing this story unfold, she's wise, and she says to Jacob, you better get out of Dodge. Your brother is out to kill you. Oh, my. Hear this? Oh, my. Run for his life. I imagine you could call this place a place of homesickness because he's leaving home for the very first time. Every August, I see freshman students move in. We help them. And on more than one occasion, I've seen tears flowing down. I know what's going on. They're homesick. You ever been homesick? If you have, my heart goes out to you because it's a pretty hard bed to lie on. Oh, we could call it a place of fear. Hear the story stacked up? Not only is this guy homesick, I'm wondering if he's thinking, when I wake up tomorrow morning, will my brother be there? Will I even wake up in the morning? A place of fear. You know, it's that, it's that thing that erupts in a little child when they're in a crowd of people and they look around and mom and dad's not there. And there's panic. Hmm, it erupts. Have you ever been to a place called fear? I have. And I hate it. Fear paralyzes. It debilitates. Now, if you've been to a place like that, my heart goes out to you because it's a pretty hard bed to lie on, isn't it? We could call this place a place of failure. Anybody know what Jacob's name means? Y'all are good. Clayton, you guys are doing a great job here. Yeah. And this guy lived up to his name. Now, think about it. Because he's at home, there's not harmony, there's hatred. Because he's at home, there's not delight, there's dysfunction, there's deceit. This guy lived up to his name, trickster, deceiver. You ever been to a place called failure in your story? Mm. The aroma of your life kind of stinks like a stopped up commode? Like a skunk on the side of the road? Well, if you have, then my heart really goes out to you because it's a pretty hard bed to lie on, isn't it? Now, friends at Calvary, isn't it absolutely mind-boggling what Jacob actually ends up calling this place? He calls it Beth-el, Bethel, Hebrew word, house of God. Now, let me see if I got this straight. He's running for his life in the middle of nowhere, homesick, fearful, and his life's a failure, and he calls this place house of God. 
All right, probing question. Now, how in the world did Jacob call the name of that place Bethel? That's the easy part of the text. Well, because of the dream. Period. I'm done that part. Okay? He sees an angel going up, coming down. He wakes up. House of God. That part's easy. Now, as Bible students, though, this morning, we want to know what does Jacob's ladder mean? Well, this is when it goes back into my story. When I served as a youth minister at Lake Wales, Florida. Uh, my job, uh, when, when Ben announced about children's worship, that just brought, took me back because that was my ministry. For five years, I'd take the kids from big church, we'd go do little church. And we'd do everything y'all were doing just better. Now, we had a, oh, I need to tell you about one of these guys. Uh, uh, let's see. For five years, every Sunday morning, I had to tell them to sit down, shut up, and pay attention. Not quite in those words, but you get the drift. I mean, he, he just, face to face, his name was Clayton, and uh, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those guys, you know. Okay, his real name was Stephen. All right, so i got to come back to Stephen in just a minute. Now, I remember the first time we went over this story, and, and you know, I was kind of shocked because these little children already could connect with homesickness and fear and failure. They had been in the world enough, they had been in school enough, they had been at home enough, and it was already starting to work on them in their story. And then one of the little kids said this, Fred, what's all those angels about? Well, I had an answer because I are a preacher. I said, those angels, those are prayers. The angels going up, that's our prayers going up, the angels coming down, Prayers, answers coming down. It made perfect sense to me until little Clayton, I mean Stephen, he raises his hand and he yells out, and I quote, Fwed, you're not too bright, are you? (laughs) And I want you to know that I learned something in junior worship that day. The story of Jacob's ladder is not about praying because after all, Jacob was... He was asleep. So isn't it neat, though, when a preacher has another interpretation? It's kind of nice. All right, so I said this to the kids. The story of Jacob's ladder is about never giving up. Keep climbing that ladder. Have you ever sang the chorus, We're Climbing Jacob's Ladder? Okay, beautiful little chorus we used to sing. So I said, no matter how tough it gets, you just keep on climbing. And little Clayton wants to, you just want to boot this kid. Okay, now... No, Clayton raises his hand one more time, and he says, and I quote, Fred, you're still not too bright, are you? And I learned something in junior worship that day. We're not climbing Jacob's ladder. Jacob's not even climbing Jacob's ladder, because after all, what's he doing? He's sleeping. So I was never so thankful that we were out of time, because I had nothing more, nothing else. But then I promised the kids that next week we'd look at the story again. And boy, did God work on me a little bit. Next week came, little Clayton had a holy moment because I'm not yelling at him anymore. He is, uh, he's got Bibles out for the younger one. He's went to that story. We didn't have to sing 50 stanzas of Father Abraham. Now I want you to see, here was a group of kids that could not rate to get to the Bible. I've never forgot that. A group of children who could not wait 
to hear Scripture, just, just one story from it. And that has been glue to my soul. It was a wonderful moment. I told the kids this. You know what? Maybe we spent too much time on the ladder and not enough time on the dialogue. Dialogue moves stories. Okay? It moves the action forward this way. And here's what I told the kids. You know what I believe the story of Jacob's ladder means? I believe it means that God is on mission every day. I told them that I believe the story of Jacob's ladder is about God's abiding presence in our lives. This was supposed to be, it could be a never the same moment for this guy. Okay? For Jacob, this was the starting point of a realization that God is with him as one who protects and provides and empowers. And you know what we long to hear this guy say in this story? Oh, God, today I'm going to do my best to remember that you're with me. Oh, God, help me be sensitive to your real presence in my life. Teach me how I can cultivate that presence. Today I'm in the one who invites me home when I'm homesick. I'm in the presence of the one who can take my fears and turn them upside down. I'm in the presence of one that can rebuild my failures, can restore me back into his grace. He rebuilds. I'm in the presence of that God. That's what you want to hear him say. Now, then the kids, it's just one of those moments. Uh, even the kids began to think of scriptures that they had heard about God's presence. I won't give you a test, but it permeates scripture. Moses heard God say this after the remarkable task he was given to do. I'm with you. Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'm with you. Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Elijah, hey, go stand on that mountain and you know this story. After the wind and the earthquake and the fire came the gentle whisper of God's abiding presence. All right, here's a quiz for you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... Oh, David said to his boy, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and discouraged for the Lord. My God is with you. Isaiah, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob... Notice that, Jacob. Who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. In your mind, when you pass through the waters, I think a tacit illusion to the Red Sea, I'm with you. Jeremiah, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then a baby came. The baby's name is made Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means... There it is. You see the golden thread through this story? Hmm. Uh, her name was Melanie back in Lake Wales, junior worship. She asked me one day, Fred, what does God look like? Well, Ben, help me out, buddy. <laughs> What's God look like? It was a bright, sunny day, just like this out here. So I took her outside. I cupped her hands. And I put a biggest, ginormous diamond in her hands, and I said, what do you see? She looks at it, looks at me, 
She goes, sparkles. And I said, that's what God looks like. I just wanted to capture her imagination. I just wanted her to think of glory and attributes. Hmm. You, you want to know the, another question I got in junior worship that I wasn't prepared for either that, that way? Here it is. Fred, what's God do all day? Wow. Well, he sits on a cloud and plays a harp. What a stupid question. Give me a hard one. You know, when God rolls up his sleeves tomorrow morning, what's he up to? Hmm. How about this one? This is your quiz, because I got asked this too. Where does God live? Now, we got two answers, don't we? So give me one of them. Where does God live? He lives within my... You know, I know that's true. I just haven't figured that one out fully yet. Well, what's our other answer? Well, he lives... When I was asked that, neither one of those answers sufficed. And it doesn't today for me. Here, I'm not sure, but I'm working on it. And up there, it's like a bazillion miles away. What I want children to know, what I want us to consider, is the imminence of God. You want to know where God lives? Here. Right here. Beside you. When you go to work tomorrow. You hear Jacob? Never the same moment. God is here, and I wasn't even aware of it. That's the power of the story. He rolls up his sleeves. It is the imminent work of God, his presence in our life. Now, I've been told all my life that gospel means good news, and that's true, but it's not just limited to forgiveness of sins, is it? The gospel's more than not getting into trouble, isn't it? It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel's more than just trying to feel better about myself. Hope so. It's not just making policies about making the world a better place, is it? See, at its core, it, it, it is God wishing for me to understand his imminent relational presence. Hmm. It's a never the same moment for Jacob and the work and the joy is just beginning, if he has an ear to hear. Now, let's admit something, Calvary. Isn't it possible for you and me to live tomorrow or next week or next month unaware of the presence of God in our life, just like Jacob? I will admit that to you. We live in enemy territory. Satan's relentless. And I'm convinced that sometimes it's not what Satan puts into our minds, it's what he wants to keep out of our minds where his best work is. But no one who meets Jesus ever stays the same. We are a people who long to cultivate his working presence in our life. We long for intimacy with God. We long to see his providence and care in our lives. We long for him to teach us, to sustain us. We long for him to equip us to live abundant lives. Indeed, the Christian life lived well is beautiful. So Calvary, how, how can we have a greater sense and awareness of the presence of God in our life? 
How can we cultivate that? Could I just offer in my last couple of minutes a few very practical suggestions for you to wake up tomorrow morning with the one who stands beside you? How about this? Would you read with God in mind? Oh, indeed, read the scriptures with God in mind. They're the foundation, they're nourishment. But when you read anything, a newspaper, a website, a magazine, read with God in mind. Ask yourself, what am I hearing? What could I learn about a character attribute of God? Keep asking yourself how God might respond to this or instruct or encourage or act or comfort, then meditate on that discovery. I've got a friend who drives to Springfield. He's a student. He told me the other day, Fred, I started reading billboards on the way home. I looked at him strange. Nah, but he reads everything with God in mind. He's going from Lincoln to Springfield. He saw a billboard, and there was a bird on it. And the bird reminded him of a dove. And a dove reminded him of the day that Jesus was immersed and empowered by God above, the God who stuck by him, whose presence was real to Jesus. And then he goes, I remembered my own baptism. He thought of Noah and a dove that came. And he's going, that's that's how God delivers. It's a promise to us. Oh, it wasn't so silly reading the billboard with God in mind, was it? All right, when you go home today, read some billboards with God in mind. Number two, reflect on anything that can help you pay attention to God. Anything. He is with you. Take in a God thought. Chew on it for a while. How about this? Use your imagination. I'll tell you what I did one day, if you promise not to laugh. Clayton. No, (laughs) yeah. Uh, getting done cutting the grass at the house. And I don't mind, well, I hate weed whacking, but riding on the rider, that's, that's good. I like that part. So I get to think a lot, and I don't mind doing that. I was winding up the, the hose at the end of the cleanup. And in my mind, it just jumped in. The hose looks like a snake. I thought of Satan, so I killed him. Okay, you said you wouldn't laugh. No, okay, no. I don't know if my neighbor saw that, but it was just one of those moments where, thank you, God, or gives me a, a tuned ear to what God has done for me all day when he rolled up his sleeves and went to work. The God on mission. Use your imagination. Uh, I, I know Clayton, and this is serious. He loves spiritual disciplines. You've got to recover those, to be attentive. A spiritual discipline is something you do that creates space for the God who is really beside you to make himself known to you. That's all it is. So cool. It, he even promises this. Uh, there are time-honored disciplines like Bible reading and prayer. I mean, after all, if you want to have an intimate relationship, it requires two things, talking and listening, right? Right? At least that's what my wife tells me. Okay, now, so, so, you know, talking and listening. Let's see, God talks in his word, I talk back. Those are time-honored. Be creative. Find a spiritual discipline that works for you. Let your imagination be your guide. I had a grad student a couple of semesters ago. We are in class together, and he looked grumpy, so I asked him, why are you so grumpy? He goes, because I don't like who I am. Well, I don't like you either, then. <laughs> no. Okay, no. 
No, he, he just, I could, he's a preacher. He's in grad school, working hard. He drives home, and, and, and in that drive, you know, somebody does something on the drive home, and it makes him mad. And by the time he gets home, he does not like himself. I said, well, let's make a spiritual discipline out of that. So I said, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to, when you, before you get in the driver's seat today, I want you to go to the passenger side and strap Jesus in. Okay? You take the seatbelt and you strap Jesus in. He did that. I was teasing, but he did it, which is cool. And, and then I said this, the first car that you meet coming the opposite way, I want you to do this. Throw out a blessing. Just whoever it is. Just say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace tonight. And he did it. And he confessed several weeks later. I mean, these are his words. God worked on me. I felt so close. I was reminded of his counsel, his wisdom, his power. God rolled up his sleeves and went to work on his life a little bit. Okay. Uh, friends, the story of Jacob illustrates a journey of escape, running for his life, full of fear, failure, homesickness, to a journey of faith. It is a never the same moment. He's just coming to grips with the presence of God in his life. You know what? Jacob's story was Paul's story. You know, Paul writing all those letters. Paul knows he's not an orphan. And in fact, he's writing to the Philippians. He's going, you know what? I'm, I'm stronger. You know, you, you love that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what he says right before that? Paul says this. The Lord is near. So let me see. Jacob's story is Paul's story. Hmm. Jacob's story is our story. Now, one last question. If Calvary Community Church were to become world-class examples of living in the presence of God, what would you look like? Let me pray. Father, one story, a beautiful plot, a fabulous conclusion is ours in Christ Jesus. And I pray that this week that we would absolutely enjoy diving into that story that is indeed ours. Please work your work. Make your presence known. In Jesus' name, amen.